0: I was thinking about the path that led me to this mothership tonight. And there was a lot of ups and downs. And I was remembering uh, an incarnation that I had where I was working for this bookie. And uh, it was a fairly simple job. i just write down the bets and then later on match them against the results. It, was, it had some strange benefits because you get a chance to see people at the other side of it, right? <laughs> With the results. Interesting. Because the, rain, the range of the people calling would be from ecstatic to suicidal, depending on how their bets went. It's amazing. It was the same event. If you haven't seen this, you don't have to work for a bookie. Just go to a sports bar in the marina or anywhere and just watch. There's some deep-ass dharma in those spots. And the Buddha kind of referred to it as the 10,000 joys or the 10,000 sorrows. And he asked us to embrace it all. And by embracing it, he, He didn't mean try to change it or sidestep it or escape it. Actually, asking us to be with sorrow and joy. I gotta tell you that when I got to the Dharma, I was pretty sure that I had the 10,000 sorrows. It was time for some fucking joy. The Buddha was asking us to, to feel it, to experience it, but not to identify it as self. And that's not something I had a lot of practice doing. Because this was my life and this is what happened to me. It felt very personal in my life. And for somebody that had spent most of my life in a, <clears throat> a deep well of self-pity and you know, a lot of sorrow. It was a hard thing to distinguish how not to identify that as self. And so I guess the topic that came up for me was around struggle and conflict between these joys and sorrows. Just think about your meditation. Meditation. And maybe a a moment of struggle you've had, even today. Now, many things could be happening just in that moment. You know, could be some unfelt emotion welling up. Could be a sensation in the body. Even expectations about what's happening and what's not happening in our meditations. And on some level, it's like we're refusing to be with what's going on. For me, it's like, it's like when I was 10 years old. If I don't like the way you're playing the game, I'm going to take my ball and go home. And that's all I got to say about that. You know? So I think we kind of get in, I get into that kind of modality around what's happening around struggle for me. I just want to jet and dig out. But I feel like we might be missing a, a bigger point, and it's like hmm, whenever we're like chasing pleasure and trying to escape unpleasantness, and then in doing that, in the the guise of dharma, it's a tricky situation. It's like this drunk tug of war. Yeah, I don't want that. I want more of that. You know, it's like this. It, I see how people are so exhausted by it, and myself included. And so I start looking at these two seemingly separate worlds of what's happening and what I think should be happening. And so there's this external and internal conflict. In almost every moment of our lives, this disparity, this chasm, that's what I wanted to talk about tonight. I started sitting with it and trying to figure out why is it so hard to accept this thing? You know, whatever it is, this life, this moment. The teachings are clear to meet life where it's at. which is pretty easy in good times. I mean, I'm a super mellow cat when shit's going my way. I am. Check me out at DMV, though. It's a different cat. Check me out when I'm in the hospital waiting room. When I would trade everything I have to get what I want. when I am at war with the present moment. That's where you find out who you are, you know, and what you're capable of. And where's your practice now, Jack? The Buddha said, not getting what we want is also suffering. I can relate to that. Just consider for a moment, even just think about a, a moment of conflict you've had or struggle. It's like I feel all tight. I'm constricted, closed, pissed off, righteous, angry. And underneath that, Scared, alone, uncared for perhaps, you know, like the deeper levels of sadness of how I'm treating myself in that conflict. So we see as a tremendous cost, so much so that I don't believe any of us really want to be in conflict. And usually when somebody does something to me, when it's an external conflict, the first, you know, the the first place I go is anger. Lots of questions about who who this person thinks they are, who do they think I am, you know, some inquiry. (laughs) And this inevitably leads me to some unsatisfying answers. That gets me madder, you know? So I I find myself in this loop of, you know, you know the three, greed, hatred, and delusion, right? And I'm going to stay in it until something gives, either me, the person, or the seldom seen realization, you know? So I feel like it's an important step to just realize that we have a choice in every moment to keep fighting or to surrender. And whether it's the pain in my back or a coworker, uh, what would winning even look like? You know what I mean? Like, really, let's play the scenarios out. Is it sweet revenge that we want? to make them feel like we felt the pay it forward model is that is that what would be sweet do we really need that karma or maybe it's maybe you just want to teach this person a lesson you're such a generous teacher <laughs> you take time out of your busy teaching schedule somebody does you wrong None of my teachers ever taught me by fighting. Yeah, nobody that ever taught me fought me. But back to the 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows, I would go as far as to say that you can't have one without the other. Just think about it. It's the same container And as empty as it's been, is only as full as it can get, right? You, You know. And I don't know what this present excavation is getting me ready for. We don't know. Carl Jung writes, All psychosis stems from our inability to experience legitimate suffering. What is legitimate suffering? I travel a lot, and earlier this year I was in Budapest. And I was in a state, man. I was in a real, like, sad state where I just missed my wife. I was walking through the streets with tears coming down my eyes. I sat on a curb, and I was just sitting there, and I was feeling really alone. And I remember seeing all these people coming in and out of restaurants, laughing and drinking. And I could feel the, the depth of my love. And the fact that I could love anybody that deeply was real news to me. You know, as a kid, I was a pretty shut down kid. I had to survive in a crazy house like most of us. And I never let nobody matter like that. So for me, it was uh, was beautiful and sad. And I let that shit burn. And I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that I was alive. And instead of stuffing it down, I just allowed it to come and overwhelm me. And I experienced it. And I let impermanence do its work. To experience legitimate suffering, to be with it. That's when it was transformed. As one of my friends says, if you can't feel it, you can't heal it. And so our practice seems to be largely about feeling it. the buddha pointed toward two kinds of suffering one that leads to more suffering one's that lead to less and none of us in our right minds would consciously choose ones that bring more suffering but the key word here is consciously right we're not consciously choosing it's more like we're in a coma And we're like slaves to our habits and desires. But we could still make decisions. We're still in the world, even though we're in this, like, Magoo-like blur. (laughs) And we can't figure out why we're not happy. It's bizarre. So first, it's just about stop. And then we begin to wake up to maybe some of the patterns that aren't so helpful. When we first start experiencing our life firsthand, direct experience, yeah. not thinking about it. You know, as your dad always says, man, if if thinking brought us to the truth, we'd all be sages by now. So it's about that direct experience, right? And we begin to start seeing, wow, if I base my decisions on wisdom instead of like some animal with a human mask, things start getting better, oddly enough. When we think about like greed and aversion and all our habits and conditioning, is it really a surprise that those things don't bring us less suffering. Seriously, I mean, just think about it, right? It's a fairly simple formula. It's not easy, but it's simple. Bhikkhu Bodhi writes Peace and harmony hover in the distance as beautiful dreams for a summer night or noble ideals to which we pledge formal allegiance. But when reality knocks, And dreams are dispelled, we find ourselves drawn, usually against our better judgment, into an arena where the pleasures that we seek exact as their price, the hard cash of struggle and contention. And so I start thinking about the conflicts I've had externally as well. And Longfellow says, if we knew the secret history of our enemies, it would disarm all hostility. Personally, I feel like all of you are just practice for me. You're just practice because it's about bringing it home. The Buddha said you can search the universe and never find someone more deserving of your love. Hmm. So why is it so hard to be with this present moment? Well, first of all, we don't have a lot of practice, right? There's not a lot of great models Think about it. I mean, first, you would have to be comfortable with yourself. Hmm. Yeah, I don't see that much in the world. I mean, have you ever been in an elevator? (laughs) You think people think people are comfortable? You ever been in a waiting room without magazines? People straight lose it, man. (laughs) I mean, that's actually the basis of the prison system, right? There's nothing to do. Take it a step further to solitary confinement. If you break the rules, we're going to take you away from the killers and rapists and make you be alone. Holy shit, what a threat. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> no iPod, no internet. So it's safe to say that many of our conflicts begin internally. And there's an African saying, it says, uh, when there's no enemy within, the enemies without can do you no harm. That makes sense to me. And again, just take a moment and let your eyes close and settle back into you, just even for a moment. Get back in touch with the breath. How are you feeling right now? Is everything okay? as you sit with your eyes closed, just notice where you're listening to this talk from. From the past, maybe. Some conflicts coming up. Notice if there's any tension in the body. Unpleasantness or maybe even waiting for a particular answer. Maybe like you heard something I said and you're in dispute over it and right now you're planning on how you're going to prove I'm wrong. Just notice if there's anything wrong right now. Because the words I'm saying are one thing, but the direct experience of struggle is something that's really personal. Who would you be right now if nothing was wrong? If you could just let things be even for a moment. Notice what happens if you stop pushing against the struggle. And when you're ready, lean back out. And again, stay really present to your own experience. One interesting thing we see in meditation is that the harder we try, the harder it gets. So the easiest way is to just relax and stop trying to change things, right? I think we know that logically. But practice is a different thing. We still want what we want. And I want to be at peace, God damn it. (laughs) So instead of trying to change our state, just softening, Opening, allowing, you know the words. Is it okay to just feel this? This legitimate suffering that we all have? If we can just hold this in mindfulness, you know? If we can relate to it from just like a scientist... Just checking it out, observing. We begin to step toward freedom. Free from the greed of the pleasant and the aversion of the unpleasant and the delusion about what is actually happening right now. But again, it it keeps coming back to this direct experience, you know? We're not gonna find our solutions in the thinking. It's gonna be more in the being. And that's the thing about this moment. It's not up for debate. This moment won. It's true. And, you know, so we keep talking about accepting it. And accepting it doesn't mean liking it or condoning it, digging it, you know. It just means acknowledging that what's actually happening is actually happening. This is actually, I'm actually saying these words right now. So surrendering seems to be a letting go of our resistance to what's actually happening. I was thinking today about these things, and this karate flick pumped into my head. And you know, I grew up on those karate flicks. And there's this one where Bruce Lee is on this boat, you know, it's in uh, Enter the Dragon. And he's chilling on this boat with some other people, and they're all going to fight. And this dude walks up to him all aggressive. He's like, What's your style? And Bruce Lee was mad chill. I don't know if y'all know a lot about Bruce Lee, but he was just like kicking back like, the act of fighting without fighting. Or the art. Yeah, he said the art of fighting without fighting. And dude was just like, show me. <laughs> <laughs> and his stupid voice, you know. <laughs> and so Bruce Lee like, Says so I, uh, right there, man, uh, and they see this little rowboat on this, on the other, you know, behind their boat, and so dude gets on it, and Bruce Lee just unties the knots and lets him go, you know. And dude says, uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: so profound, right?
1: <laughs>
0: Untie the knot and let him go. Dudes, all screaming, man! It was beautiful, man. I <laughs> the art of fighting without fighting. Mm. Ajahn Chah says, "If we let go a little, we'll have a little peace. If we let go a lot, we'll have a lot of peace. If we let go completely, we'll have complete peace." Again, simple, not easy. I consider this statement a lot. What if nothing was wrong? What if I was okay? I find I create so much suffering just trying to avoid the normal suffering that's in my life. You know, it's kind of like when I was a construction worker. And I would work harder at trying not to work than actually doing the work. (laughs) But still, somehow I thought I was getting over. Almost dead. The bad news is, it's not always going to feel good. The good news is, you get your life back. And we won't, as Khalil Gibran warns us, pass into the seasonless world where we'll laugh, but not all our laughter. And we'll cry, but not all our tears. That man, I want to get down. I want to live this life, you know. Jonathan Swift writes, May you live all the days of your lives. And so it's in this soft, spacious mind that we kind of explore acceptance. To actually take on what's happening. And this doesn't mean that we don't want things to change. We'll probably want stuff to change still. It's just we're not going to attach our happiness to it. We're not going to attach anything to it, hopefully. Hmm. In this wisdom... H. Blythe wrote, and he wrote, he wrote, <laughs> he writes, things are beautiful, but not desirable, ugly, but not repulsive, false, but not rejected. What is inevitable, like death, is accepted without rage. What may not be, like war, is the subject of action, skillful and the more effective because, again, it's not powered and blinded by rage and hate. We may recognize an oppressor and resolutely act to remove the oppression, but we do not hate him. Absence of hatred, disgust, intolerance, or righteous indignation within us itself is a part of our growth toward enlightenment so we can still desire for change but maybe without some of the craving and attachment around it. A good test is to just check your belly. If it's tight, you know, you might be in some form of struggle. You might want to check the heart, see if it's closed, if it's open. You have these built-in intuitions that Wes was talking about last night. It's, a, it's an amazing diagnostic device, the body. Aldous Huxley, one of the greatest minds of our time, after a lifetime of studying the human condition, they asked him if he had any advice He just said, just try to be a little kinder. I know we want it to be more complicated. We're such complex creatures. His Holiness, when asked about his religion, said, I have a religion of kindness. This practice involves two components, kind awareness, kind awareness, and if you got to let one of them go, let it be awareness. I know enough jerks that can meditate really good. (laughs) I don't really care how long you could sit for. Mm -hmm. I want to know how you treat the people (laughs) in your life. I want to know how gentle you are when you fuck up. Just keep your eyes on what you're cultivating as you sit here. One of my mantras is another simple question. Is that kind, you know, is that kind? And it feels, I want to tell you like an amazing secret that took me like 35 years to figure out. Shh, it's just for you. Feeling, you know, like uh, being nice feels really fucking cool. That's like super profound for me. (laughs) You may have been born with that shit and it's all good. That's not where I come from. That's all I have to say. What's happening out there.
1: Can you talk a little bit more about um, allowing things to be as they are and still taking action? Mm Um, specifically the thing that keeps coming up for me is um, I know I know that this practice isn't um, meant to be passive that you just allow things to be as they are and you don't care a lot of that mm-hmm. comes up for a lot of people that if I just let things if I accept the way things are that means I don't care what's happening mm-hmm. and I know that that's not what the teaching is and where it's going but I have a Uh, a claim it's a couple and um, the husband's got really really intense advanced cancer and I do yoga with them and the wife said to me the other day I was saying to them allow things to be as they are and she said I just can't do that with the cancer you know and I, I, I don't really know what to say to her it's like I know I don't know how to talk about it or speak to it or really I just know that know that 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 teaching is there but i don't really know how to speak to it
0: sometimes that's an incredibly difficult situation and you could sit with her and hold her hand, and i don't think there's much else to do you know um But I also know
1: that the, her wanting it to be different than it is is going to create more suffering than's already
0: there. It's true, and she's in that situation for real, real. And most people, it's really hard to give advice when you're not in it. You know, you know when you're when you get nuts and somebody throws some hallmark advice at your ass. (laughs) It don't mean nothing. You know what I mean? So all we can do is be like, I see you, and I'm here with you, you know, because it's going to do what it does, right? You know, uh, I was reading one of Stephen's books about who dies, and he was talking about this... uh, cancer patient, and they were trying to work out some imagery, and they was talking about sharks eating the little cells, and he was just like, man, I've been at war my whole life, man. I got to think of a better model. So, Mm -hmm. that may give you some uh, door to step in as far as, like, going more with love than war, Mm -hmm. but uh, anything I say or you say is going to seem really simplified. And so I just feel like all I can do in any of those situations is sit with them, you know, just company, you know, the same as probably her husband needs at this point, you know. I wish I had some better words for you.
1: I guess my biggest struggle is, like, what am I going to do when I go home? What am I going to do to, to like, continue this practice and not fall off the wagon? That's my biggest
0: fear and my biggest problem is that it will all go well, I'll go home,
1: I'll start doing it, and then (coughs) something happens, and I, you know, I stop. Mm
0: Mm-hmm drive myself crazy Mm -hmm. and I get deeper and deeper and deeper into like giving myself excuses not to go back back. the practice. Distractions. Oh, I got to do this, I got to do that. I'm tired. Welcome. Yeah, I can give you some advice. You know. Uh, I'll tell you the same thing my teachers told me. Find a community. It's a lot easier to sit when there's a whole bunch of people sitting. You know what I mean? Like, to sit alone in my bedroom? (sighs) That closet really needs to be cleaned out. (laughs) That kitchen floor could really use a mopping. So, you know, It's just it's the same for all of us. So that's why communities are so cool. And I bet wherever you live, there's people meeting in a basement somewhere (laughs) meditating. And so that's what I would say. That's the best advice I had ever gotten, is that I know that once or twice a week, I can go to this room, and people are going to be talking about and sitting with what interests me. So, you know, and, you know, there's things you can do around, you know, just making a time every day and a place in your house and all of that stuff, and it's still, it's still difficult to hit the cushion. Mm-hmm. So I try to, you know, I, I set that intention in that alarm clock, and I find my practice wherever I can. I think it was Ajahn Chah that said, if you got time to breathe, you got got time to meditate. Mm-hmm. So you're always breathing, you know. And You know, to simplify the practice, even though formal practice is really, really what's called for. Eat when you're eating. You got to eat anyway. You know, take a shower when you're taking a shower. You know, the multitasking is really what robs us of so much of our lives. You know, when you're eating and watching TV, you ain't doing either. You know, so maybe just simplifying stuff a little bit. That makes sense? Yeah. Good. How long should I keep this uh, charade going on for? <laughs> uh, let me end on a high note. She actually may have gotten something out of that. So, thank you.
1: <laughs> uh,
0: thank you for being with us.